What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk Minnesota Sports. I'm your host, Andrew Neuer, coming at you on a Wednesday afternoon on October 5th. That's the sweet sound of a loon juice. Let me know what you're drinking in the comment section below. In today's episode, we're going to again recap the Vikings' thrilling win over the Saints and highlight their upcoming matchup against the Chicago Bears. I'll then kind of provide some takeaways from the Minnesota Timberwolves' first preseason game, and then we'll end things talking about the Minnesota Twins' season and, of course, Louisa Rise's amazing year. So, let's talk some Minnesota sports. Let's kick things off talking about the Minnesota Vikings. Let's start off by talking about the uh, New Orleans Saints game, the London game, the game that's always way too unpredictable. I mean, you can be a little discouraged, but at the same time, you also have to realize that London games are always super weird just because of sleep schedule. And it's, I mean, like it's a home game for one of the teams, but at the same time, it really isn't. It's a, it's a really tough game just because it is overseas, the time change and everything. Like, as much as, like, the Vikings probably should have won by more, you also can, like, point at it and be like, hey, like, it is a London game. Like, how would that look if they were in New Orleans or in Minnesota, et cetera? Like, it doesn't really matter in that sense. But, I mean, the Saints were without Camaro. They were without Michael Thomas, without Jameis Winston, and their starting guard, like, you should be able to, if the Minnesota Vikings were without Kirk, without Dalvin Cook, without, I don't know, we'll we'll just say Adam Thielen in this sense because the Saints do have other good wide receivers, and I'm not sure if Michael Thomas is their number one considering he's missed like the last like two years. But, yeah, I mean, you can point out that Andy Dalton is a way better backup than most teams. He is a he would probably start on a couple of teams had, have they not been trying to go for maybe a rebuild, but Andy Dalton was a starter last year and he has been for the most part of his career. He's a good quarterback. Not, he's not great. He's not, he's not terrible. He's, he's a below average. He's in that like 20 to 30 range. If he were being, if he were to be a starting quarterback, nonetheless, I thought the defense looked really good in the first half. And maybe you can point that towards like, you know, Andy Dalton knocking off some of that rust from not playing really since, I don't know, last year. So it's difficult, but Andy Dalton did settle in nicely as the game went on. And I thought he had a really good game. I mean, you got a lot of three nows to start and you only gave up seven points in the first half. But as I said, like in the second half, that's where everything kind of went haywire. And that's really where the Saints started settling in. They, I will get to this in a second, but the 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 Saints just played a way more, a lot more of a dynamic game in the second half. They knew the identity, they knew what was what was going to work. Obviously, they fixed some stuff going into halftime, but as as uh, Dalton settled in, he made some great passes towards the end. There, he finished the game with two hundred thirty six passing yards, one touchdown, twenty for twenty eight. The Vikings defense really didn't make it difficult for him. And can we just talk about actually like the last like minute or two of the game? It always feels like the Vikings, whether it's first and 20, second and 15, third and 25, whatever, it doesn't matter. It just feels like every time they're in that scenario, 
the opposing team just gets the first down with ease. And it's really frustrating. Like you're, you, you're looking at the thing and the saints get the ball with, I don't know. I don't, I don't have the number on top of my head, but it's late. Like they have to go basically downfield, get in good field goal position. And all the Vikings have to do is play like good defense, more so prevent in the sense, because, you know, they have to go at least like 30, 40 more yards. And right off the bat, Andy Dalton rifles one and they're sitting, they're sitting pretty much in field goal range. If you can consider that like Will Lutz just made a 60 yard field goal date and had it not been a 61 yarder that that kicks going in. They just needed one or two more yards and that thing was money and we'd be going into overtime and who knows what the outcome would be. It's just extremely frustrating to see time after time when it's a, when the other team needs a lot of yardage, the Vikings just give it up. Whether it's first down or late in game, it always happens and it's extremely frustrating. I tweeted out before the game that I thought Taysom Hill should be the starter over Andy Dalton. And you could probably argue that Andy Dalton is a better passer, but Taysom Hill is 100% more dynamic than Andy Dalton. And we've seen, we've seen the Vikings struggle with mobile quarterbacks. And that's why I'm a little nervous about the bears just because I really do not want to lose the bears. You can't lose to a team that's been that bad, but we'll talk about them in a second. Taysom Hill, we saw it with the Eagles. Jalen Hurts had all the time in the world, and when we did get to the quarterback, Jalen Hurts was just scramble. And Taysom Hill, when he comes in the game, you can, like, I guess, expect maybe a pass. They want to, like, throw you off guard. You're not going to just constantly play run because if you keep playing run, then that pass is going to be open, and that could be easily lead to a touchdown. But even when he came in the game, he didn't make a pass. He just went in there to run. And every time they came in there to run, it was so easy. You'd think that if the Saints saw that, they would have used him in more packages. I was just really surprised that they did not use Taysom Hill more in that game because if they would have, I think the Saints could have won that game because Minnesota has no answer for mobile quarterbacks or just guys who are that unique in their skill set. And he dominated when he did play. Honestly, and another key part of this win was... Not even a key part, actually. I meant to say Mark Ingram going down with an injury, and then he did come back, but he did go down with an injury. That almost screwed over the Vikings more because Mark Ingram did not get anything going on the ground. But once Latavius Murray came in, that's really where the Saints' offense started to pick up and build momentum. He was picking up tough yardage, big first down plays. Like he was, Latavius Murray looked like he was 25, 26 again. Like, he looked really good. Latavius Murray finished the game with 11 carries, 57 yards, and a touchdown. Whereas Mark Ingram, 10 carries for only 30 yards. That's a huge difference. And it was really like frustrating. When when and when you saw Latavius Murray like switch out and let Mark Ingram go in for a run or two, Mark Ingram got shut down at the line. Where Latavius Murray would pick up six or seven yards, then it just kept happening over and over and over. But like I said, first half gave up seven points. Second half, the Vikings gave up 18. Usually we see that the reverse way where in the second half, that's where the defense kind of settles in more. But that wasn't the case. Again, I don't know if that's a London game or what happened, but a little frustrating just because of all the offensive pieces that were missing from the Saints side. But again, London game. We'll kind of see what happens in week five against the Chicago Bears. 
let's talk about Kirk Cousins. He's been kind of playing a little scared these last couple of weeks. This is not the same Kirk Cousins we saw against the minute when they were playing the Green Bay Packers in week one. It's kind of like that Eagles game really threw him off. And he, he was kind of playing scared in that Eagles game, too. He was not kind of. He was. He's not been himself since that first week. But again, the Vikings are three and one. And some of this. Yeah, you can make some of the mistakes that they are not. They're closer in games because of his mistakes. But you can also point to him and say they are three and one because of his play. They don't win that game if Kirk Cousins doesn't make that bold move to throw to Justin Jefferson with the game kind of on the line there. If he doesn't make that pass, who knows what happens? And the Vikings could have probably ended up losing that game. There's just so much about him. He's just so, I, I don't know. I want to see more from him because, again, like it is a new offense. I'm not trying to make excuses for him. He needs to play a lot better than he has. But at the same time, he has delivered the Vikings a three and one start. Um, he, he just feels he is playing scared, though. We're seeing a lot more checkdowns than we saw like week one. It was not, there wasn't really many checkdowns. It was kind of like, holy shit, this is Kevin O'Connell. He's opening up the offense. He's opening things up for Kirk Cousins. And now we're seeing it. If you bring the blitz, Kirk Cousins has no idea what to do. But I don't know. We'll see how he plays here in week four. I mean, sorry, week five. But it is something to keep an eye on. Like, for example, there was one play where Adam Thielen, where he threw to Adam Thielen on a check down instead of a wide open Justin Jefferson in the corner of the end zone, which would have led to a touchdown. And obviously, the Vikings didn't get a touchdown in that series, but it is just something to keep an eye on. Let's talk about kind of the Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson dynamic. It started off just like the Vikings offense is solely Justin Jefferson this season. And I kind of cautioned that a little bit just because like, yes, Justin Jefferson is a really good wide receiver. And if you throw him the ball, good things will 99% of the time happen. And but the problem was that you need more offensive flow, more. You have to spread the ball a lot more because other teams are going to just hone in on Justin Jefferson, double team him, whatever. And we kind of saw that the last few weeks where JJ was almost a non-factor in the game and Minnesota had to figure out how to get others involved, whether that's Irv Smith, whether that's Adam Thielen, KJ Osborne, et cetera. There's just so many different offensive weapons in this lineup that you really just need to dial in on and, find ways to get them involved. And that's kind of what we're starting to see a little more now that now, like I want to see a little more from KJ Osborne, but Kirk Cousins is really hammering home the JJ Adam Thielen combo and it's working. Justin Jefferson is more of your home run type of player. He'll get you a lot more after the catch and give you more production in that sense. But he's also a little more volatile. You never know what you're going to get kind of. He could go off for almost 200 yards, or we kind of saw in the last couple of weeks where he might get 30 to 40. For the most part, you can bank on him getting 100 or more yards, but it is a little more kind of up and down with Justin Jefferson. And again, he is still young. He's kind of coming into his own now this season, but he is start, he's still starting to like figure things out. Whereas like Adam Thielen, if you need a first down or you need a really like on the line type of pass more likely than not, he's going to catch it every single time. He's just really good as routes and having him as such a, it's like a, 
I don't know. It, it's like a, it's like a pillow, like a blanket almost. Like it's just, he's your fallback plan almost if Justin Jefferson isn't open for that home run type of play. But we saw it like throughout the first half and a little bit into the second where nothing was really going on with Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen was just catching plays after play, like catching pass after pass after pass. And those led to really key first downs. But he's not going to, he probably won't, he's not going to end the game with 150 yards, but he will maybe finish 50 to 80 yards, a touchdown or two. Like he's just a go-to guy on first down and having these two is just a huge, it's just awesome to see. Let's kind of move on to talk about the Chicago Bears game and what the keys to success is. The biggest key will be to stop the run. We know that the passing game is not great in Chicago, and we will hit on that soon, but stopping the run for Chicago will be their biggest threat. That's their biggest threat on offense. This season, Chicago ranks third in rushing yards. They're getting 177.3 yards per game, and that's led by David Montgomery, who is who was out last week, but it is looking like he might be able to suit up on Sunday, which will be big for them, obviously. Or the other guy is Khalil Herbert, who has looked almost better than David Montgomery. I would say that Khalil Herbert is more of their home run type of hitter who will get you big yards, kind of has more juice in the tank, sort of say. Like he is a little more dynamic in the run game. Where David Montgomery, he's just a solid. He's going to be a really good pass protector. And that's probably going to be really big for the Chicago Bears if they want to slow down Zadarius Smith and Daniil Hunter and DJ Wanham, etc. We'll see what happens. But if I had a pick, I would say Khalil Herbert is the guy that scares me the most just because he does have that like hit the hole. I'm going to go for a big game. And he's a really fun running back to watch despite him not hitting the over on my bet last week. I lost that bet by two yards. If you would have picked up two more yards, I would have been cashing in on some money, but that's that's betting for you. Uh, let's just kind of like, I just want to talk about Khalil Herbert and David Montgomery's like game by game statistics. Just to, so you guys, if you're not familiar, you can get a little bit more of a better idea of what to expect. Week one, Khalil Herbert had nine carries for 45 yards. Week two, four carries for 38 yards. Week three, that's where he kind of started mostly, just because David Montgomery did leave early in that game. In that game, Khalil Herbert had 20 carries for 157 yards. And last week, as a full-time starter, he did have 19 carries, 77 yards. On the season, he's averaging 6.1 yards per carry for three touchdowns. Whereas David Montgomery in week one had 17 carries for 26 yards. And week two, I believe... I didn't mean to put a 22 there. I'm pretty sure that's 122. Actually, I have the stats right here, so I can just double check on that, but I'm pretty sure it's 122. Yeah. Okay, so 15 carries for 122 yards in week two, and the third week he got injured, but he had three carries for 11 yards. That's an average of 4.5 yards per carry, and he has zero touchdowns on the year. So like I said, like there is just a lot more to worry about with Khalil Herbert but David Montgomery is the focal like running back in their system. So maybe they're more familiar and they do better with him in the lineup versus Khalil Herbert. But as I, as I said, I've kind of hammered home that Khalil Herbert is the guy to watch. You really don't need to worry about the pass. So I'm not going to like talk about that a whole lot just because I don't really see that as a key to success. Like, 
Chicago ranks dead last in yards per game. Like, like it's like dead last. Chicago ranks dead last with 97.5 yards per game. That's hilarious. They're not even passing for over 100 yards. Do you know how hard that is? They're almost doubling their run total versus their pass. And yeah, week one. Oh my gosh. Um, week one. Hoping that'll actually. Okay, whatever. Week one, that was the run. That was the rainy game where Soldier Field looked like it was about to flood. But still, like to not have over a hundred passing yards is almost impossible to do. Last week, Justin Fields completed double digit passes like before then it was he was completing seven eight and eight passes like how are you not getting at least 10 last week he had 11 so again the passing game is nothing to worry about even though the vikings secondary has been a little suspect to start the year but again stop the run and the vikings will be fine okay thing is still making some noise but moving on the key to success against the Chicago Bears for the Vikings on offense, like we've said almost every single week, you have to stop. You have to utilize and get Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison going. Get some jet sweep stuff going. Like get get Justin Jefferson the ball in the run game. Get Jalen Rager the ball in the game. Like there is just so many different ways to utilize this offense. And we haven't really seen the the run blocking used to its best advantage. And that's kind of been the Vikings key to success the last couple of years under Mike Zimmer. It didn't matter. Like the pass protection was always pretty bad, but the run blocking usually fared pretty well, despite no matter who was in the backfield. And again, like we say it every week, get the run game going because this defense that they're facing is one of the worst in the league. And again, Chicago ranks dead last in stopping the ball. They're giving up 183.3 yards per game whereas their pass defense ranks fourth. They're only giving up 168.5 for a game. That's a huge drastic difference. And again, like I said last week against the Saints, if Kirk Cousins is decent with just like one or two touchdowns, no interceptions for a little over 200 yards, they're going to win the game. And the Vikings won. He did throw an interception, but you can't, you can't, I mean, obviously like the Chicago Bears offense is not as good, but you can't give other teams opportunities to win the game so get the ball in dalvin cook and alexander madison's hands use some jet sweeps jet sweep stuff and get that offense going let's start running the ball a little more use this to your advantage the bears are dead last and stopping the run there should be no reason that you're not running the ball more let's move on to some predictions for week five i have the vikings winning 24 to 6 let me know in the comment section below what you think the final score will be Okay, let's now move on to the Minnesota Timberwolves. I'm going to be checking my notes. If you ever heard a millennial say that they're going to check their paper for the notes? Yes, I did not do it on the computer. I had everything handwritten, pen to paper, type of style, old school. So let's kind of dive into some of the takeaways from the week one. Not week one, I'm still in the football mode. From game one of the Minnesota Timberwolves preseason game. 121 to 111 finish over the Miami Heat. 
they looked incredible last night. Like they were moving the ball. Their offense looked great. Defense was very like aggressive. They looked hungry out there and it was a lot of fun to watch. And yeah, you could point to it's preseason. Who cares? Like the, the backups really didn't play until quarter four. And yeah, the Miami heat were without Jimmy Baller and like a few other like key players, but the Timberwolves also didn't play Rudy Gobert, D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns. In my estimation, in my in my in my opinion at least, the Minnesota Timberwolves sat way more talent last night and they still controlled the game. Like it wasn't even it didn't really even feel like a, a game. Minnesota would be up by like 15, 18, Miami would maybe cut it down to like nine. But then the Timberwolves put would put their pedal like to the metal and just kept driving it back home, going back up by eighteen. And I don't even want to compare like to the last season, like with the postseason, where if the Timberwolves got up so big, they would just lose the lead. And we didn't see that last night. They kind of just kept going and going. And it was, but at the same time, like it has to have some sort of like merit to it. Like you don't just show up preseason and look that good for no reason. Like this is a really good team, a really deep team. And it's going to be exciting. I'm, I'm really excited to watch tomorrow night's game. Or I guess it would be, tonight's game if you're listening to this on thursday against the los angeles lakers but let's just kind of go into some notes that i had the first note was more nas reed so i initially tweeted out that you know nas reed starting maybe has some weight to him keeping his roster spot um kind of on the lines of that if you're unfamiliar or you're curious about what that means it's Going into the regular season, it doesn't really make sense to have both Nathan Knight and Nas Reed on the roster, especially when you have Rudy Gobert, Carl Anthony Towns, who will be playing pretty much 40, 48 minutes on the floor. Like when Rudy sits, Carl will be playing. And when they're, they can obviously play at the same time with each other. And maybe if they're both sitting, they can use Nas Reed, but don't be surprised if we see Kyle Anderson used as a four or five where Nathan Knight and Nas Reed's role is kind of almost diminished and completely removed from their game plan. Also, you have Torian Prince who can play the four, the three, whatever. But I initially was like Nas Reed starting has to be good for his stock going into next season. But as the game went on and progressed, like Nathan Knight clearly outplayed Nas Reed and it wasn't really even close. Nas was, you know, he flashed his three point, he, you know, he made a three. I just want to pull up the stats just so I can, like, give you guys a better understanding of what maybe happened if you didn't catch the game. But Nas Reed played 18 minutes, nine points on three of five shooting. Like, good efficiency. You get, you know what you're going to get from Nas Reed. You will get nine to 14 points on pretty good efficiency. He had four boards, but the biggest issue was that he had five fouls. Five fouls in 18 minutes. That's not exactly great. I don't really care that much about plus minus because I think it's kind of bullshit because you, like you could be on the floor and do absolutely nothing, but go on a big run. Or you could be the only guy making an impact on the game, but you're, you gave up 18 points. Like it doesn't, in that sense, I don't really care. But if you are one of those people, Nas Reed finished with a minus eight, whereas Nate Knight played 16 minutes and he had a plus 14. So really big difference. Nate Knight also had 14 points, went to the line nine times, 
or I guess he shot nine free throw attempts, 14 points, seven boards, two assists. Like he clearly, he outplayed Nas Reed and it wasn't even close. So I don't want to overreact over one game, but if I were to make a decision right now, I would say that Nate Knight makes the roster over Nas Reed because of his performance. But again, there is so many more games to play before the regular season starts. I think it's four more. You have four more games to play before the regular season. You can wait till then. You don't have to make your decision after game one. Who knows? Like maybe Nas Reed just had a really bad game and Nas Reed outperforms Nate Knight over the last four. And then that decision becomes Nas Reed over Nate Knight. But you have to look at it though and wonder if Nate Knight is going to, you know, take over. You can move on with Nate, with Nas Reed into the season and maybe try to trade him as the, as the season goes on, but maybe try to see if you can trade him to Boston who just lost Robert Williams or, you know, find another team who's looking for another big or just someone who can stretch the floor, or, you know, have better offense. Maybe even Phoenix is an option with, you know, some uncertainty with DeAndre Ayton. And obviously you're not replacing DeAndre Ayton with Nas Reed, but Jay Crowder is not going to be there, I don't think, this season. He might show up as the season starts, you know, because he wants to play and earn his earn money and get his trade value up, etc. But that's an option, too, at the four for the Phoenix Suns. There's a lot of options that the Timberwolves can do, but I did think that was interesting. I want to talk about Jaden McDaniels, too. He looked really good. And obviously, we won't see him utilize that much in an offensive flow just because, you know, there are so many different options. You have Rudy Gobert, D'Lo, Ant, Cat. Like, there's a lot of offensive firepower. And I want to know maybe if they should consider moving, not, you know, not with a second, like, start Jaden McDaniels, but have him kind of play more with the second unit. Be one of the first or two guys out of the, the rotation to, you know, play with that second group because. Like I said, like he has so much more offensive like tools in his bag that we're just not really seeing. And we kind of saw some of that last night where he was rebounding the ball. He'd bring it up the floor. He initiated offense at times and he just looked really good. You know, there's one where he dribbled down the floor, did a pull of three. Like he he looked really good last night. And I want to see more Jaden McDaniels in kind of a not even just a focal point, but just utilize a little more than because I'm a little nervous that when the season does start that Jay McDaniels will start, but he's going to be almost pushed to the side for the other four big name guys. And he'll be in the corner just spotting up and that's not using his talent to the best of its abilities. So maybe you kind of have him start, you know, because starting is a big deal for some players. And I don't know if it is for Jay McDaniels per se, but have him start, have him, beat with that first unit because he deserves to be there and then have him play more with the second unit so he can initiate offense so we can bring the ball up the floor so we can see a little more like coming out of college like going even into college like Jaden McDaniels was not known for his defense he was known for his offense and that's why it's so weird that we haven't even seen it we're just seeing his defensive side and obviously defense is a great thing but I want to see a little more I want to see more from him as the year progresses Ant added 11 pounds and he looked massive last night. Like he looked way bigger. And obviously he came in to the league looking big and strong and everything, but he looked really big. 
like I said, added 11 pounds of muscle. And the biggest thing for him with adding that muscle was his finishing ability. He kind of struggled. I don't have the exact number, but I want to say it was it's it's not good. His finishing at the rim was bad. And if you watched last season, you kind of known that. Like he does have some really crafty, like uh I'm blanking on the term. I don't even know why. Oh, duh. He has some really crafty like reverse layup packages, and obviously he does have the ability to throw down on any any player, but his finishing was bad at times, and last night he had zero problems finishing. He had zero problems shooting the ball. He was a three-level scorer last night, and if he can just like really dial it in on defense, there's no doubt in my mind that he will be – he has a potential of being an all-NBA player this year. And if Minnesota is number one, two, or three in the Western Conference standings, and Anthony Edwards is leading that with his defense and offense, I think you make it the case that he could be all NBA first team. Like John Morant was part of the MVP conversation and all that, but who's to say that Anthony Edwards can't do the same thing. I was really excited about the Austin Rivers signing and I still am because I do believe in his kind of offensive ability and his leadership defense and everything like on media day, Nate, not sorry. On media day, Austin Rivers and I want to say Kyle Anderson. Those two really stuck out of my head of like players who had a really good like interview. They just really stood out to me. They looked, they sounded and said all the right, right. And they look, they just sounded really good. So I'm really kind of excited about what Austin Rivers can bring to this roster. But last night he just tried to assert himself way too much. And it was kind of his downfall. Because I feel like if he was, if he knew, and he's this type of player that if he misses, he's still going to shoot again because he has that confidence in himself to make the next shot. And that's great. It's preseason. Who gives a, like, who gives a crap? Like, but he, he was really bad. And if he didn't shoot, I feel like he could have got other people involved on offense and we'd be saying that he had a great game. You know, Kyle Anderson went all for two with zero points, but. He looked really good last night, whereas Austin Rivers went 0 for 6. And I can't say that I thought he looked good. And I don't, I mean, I watched his defensive possessions. They weren't anything special. They're fine. But Austin Rivers did not look good. And I would say that he, for as bad as Nas Reed looked with his five fouls, Austin Rivers was by far the worst player on the floor last night. And Brent Forbes is a. He looked really nice. Like the competition will be between Jalen Noel, Bryn Forbes, and Austin Rivers. But who? I mean, Bryn Forbes, like we know he's a three point shooter and he looked great shooting that ball. That was a lot of fun to watch him shoot the ball offensively. Like, I don't, like, I don't know how to really even explain it. Like, he just looked really good. And for as good as he is offensively, he's not good on defense. But look at what he did. Like, he was playing actually really good defense. And I, I'm like, really, I'm kind of like lost at for words because when I was watching him, like he was staying in front of his mind, like not in mind, he was staying in front of his man. And it was just really impressive to see. I'm really excited about him. I don't know how much of a factor he will have like this season, because I still believe that it's Jalen Noel, Austin Rivers and Bryn Forbes on the pecking order. 
But after last night, it's clearly Jalen Noel. He had a great game. I'm not really going to touch on him a whole lot because we know what he brings offensively. He had a great game, and I don't want to take away from anything that he did. He was one of the better players on the floor last night. But Bryn Forbes played good defense. He looked good on offense. And I'm really excited about what he can bring this season. Let's talk about Torian Prince. I had him as my underrated player of the season. I mean, not of the season, of the game, sorry. And I thought he looked really good. Like, defensively, offensively, he was doing everything. He even took a charge. Who takes a charge in preseason? It doesn't matter if it's, like, but Torian Prince was out there doing things. Last night, in 20 minutes, 19 points, 3 rebounds, 2 steals, 1 block, 6 of 12 from the field, 3 of 8 from 3. He's going to be a, a huge key to, su- key to success this season off the bench. I'm not sure exactly what his role is and if it's going to be diminished at all with you know, Jalen Noel getting a little more shine. You know, Kyle Anderson obviously getting a little more... I have to imagine that Torian Prince will be heavily involved both offensively and defensively. And we saw a lot of it last night, and I'm really excited to watch more of him. It was a great deal for the Minnesota Timberwolves to get him to extend. I'm just really excited. There's just so many different things and intricacies that you could talk about with this game. Like, you can't really say anyone really looked bad besides Nas Reed and Austin Rivers. Everyone really kind of looked good, and it was a great all-around win despite the Minnesota Timberwolves not having their three best players in the game. I'm excited. Let me know what you kind of, what kind of stood out to you in the comment section or just tweet at me at Let's Talk Wolves and kind of what you liked from last night's victory against the Miami Heat. Now, let's close things off with the Minnesota Twins. I don't want to talk about them a whole lot because what really is there to talk about with the season? I've said that the last couple of weeks. I'm saving most of my conversation stuff about the Minnesota Twins for the future weeks where we can talk about offseason stuff and the season overall. And right now, as I'm recording this, the Twins game is is playing, but it doesn't really take away from the season as a whole. Like we, they're not making the playoffs. They're not like it's, it was a very disappointing season, both pitching, offensively with guys hitting with guys and running runners in scoring position, scoring position. Sorry, you know the injuries and everything else. There was not really any positives you could say about this year but you have to it was still fun like in a sense like they kept it interesting all the way down Luis Arise who we're going to get to in a second was phenomenal Carlos Correa he didn't have the best season in terms of hitting in the clutch like we're used to seeing but he did have a good offensive year his defense was incredible like without him in the lineup you can tell when he's not there. Like when the Twins would have to throw in Jermaine Palacios or like have Nick Gordon or whatever, like Jorge Polanco at short, there's a huge difference in his arm at shortstop. And some of the plays where a guy would be running the first or a huge play would happen and they couldn't make it, those are plays that Carlos Correa routinely makes. And having him in the lineup is a huge difference maker, no matter what you may think about his contract or whatever. Bringing him back will be the best thing the Minnesota Twins can do this offseason. Yes, they need to bring in pitching. I'm not even ignoring that. I'm just saying 
Carlos Correa is good for the Minnesota Twins' future. You can't just let a guy who's a top three whatever position player at his position. Let's just talk about Luis Arias, and then we can kind of close things here. Don't want to talk too long about this. I'm recording again, like I said, during the afternoon because during the Minnesota Twins game, just the beginning of it, I will watch the end of it because it's the last game, and I want to see Luis Arias get his batting title. But Luis Arias has had an incredible season, and for the Twins' offensive woes at times, it was not on him. Like, he was the Twins' best offensive player. And I don't even think it's close. Carlos Correa, like I said, had a great season. His wins above replacement was great. His defense was good. Byron Buxton hit 20-some home runs, but he missed the last portion of the season. Luis Arise, he did struggle towards the end of the year. And we kind of seen this kind of trending direction where towards the end of the year, he's banged up a lot. And his offensive play suffers from that immensely. As a season as a whole, Luis Arise getting the batting title is just incredible. The season has been a huge disappointment, and you can't say really anything negative about him. The whole hater talk on he's just sitting because he's trying to protect his lead, that's all bullshit. Luis Arise has been playing banged up, and he's putting his body at risk by playing in these games. He doesn't have to be out there. He can say, I'm injured. Why would I put risk on my body? You know, that's his future that he's going to have to worry about if those injuries are prolonged and like they linger. Or maybe that affects his upcoming contracts and everything like that. Like, Luis Arise is playing injured and him getting the batting title, which is just kind of like the little sweetener on the Twins season. It was disappointing, but it's nice to see him get this. He worked hard for it and. He looked really good defensively, too, for the most part of the year. Like, you can't really say anything negative about him. He was a Twins' best offensive player this year, and I hope that he gets another batting title next year. I did want to kind of say, as a kind of, you know, little pat on my back, I think it might have been like the first week or whatever. It doesn't really matter. It was in April. I tweeted out that Luis Arise is going to win a batting title this season. And he did it. So congratulations to Luis Arise. He was incredible this year, and I can't wait to watch him again next year. But anyways, that wraps up our 28th episode. Be sure to follow Let's Talk Minnesota Sports on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow my accounts on Twitter at Let's Talk Twins, Let's Talk Wolves, Let's Talk Bikes, and Let's Talk Wild. Thank you all for listening. Cheers. Today's episode is brought to you by Eric Molsather at Coldwell Banker Realty. The real estate economy right now is crazy, and it's the perfect time to sell your house. Whether you're looking to sell, invest in real estate, or find your next dream home, then Eric Molstay there at Coldwell Banker Realty is your guy. Eric is committed to bringing you an experience that goes beyond just buying or selling a home. If that sounds like you, give Eric Molstay there a call at 651-357-6528 or email him at eric.molstayther at cbrealty.com. That's eric with a K dot M-O-L-S-A-T-H-E-R at cbrealty.com and tell them Andrew sent you.